welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 36 of Swimming Upstream. And boy, are we going to have some fun today. Uh, today, we're taking a break out from our usual grind, taking a break from researching prospects and international prospects that the Marlins are currently in the process of signing uh, on this international signing day. And we are going to have some, some real fun. So uh, I'm really excited for this. We're excited to bring you an all-time Florida slash Miami Marlins all-team draft. Um, We're going to explain what that means as we get into the episode, but to help us do it, we have with us two awesome guests who are very well-versed in the history of the Marlins franchise. Uh, First of all, I have with us uh, a longtime friend and managing editor of, in our opinion, the most active, most engaging source for Marlins coverage all through this lockout, during the season, everything else. Uh, It's our our great buddy. Uh, I'm privileged to have him back on Swimming Upstream. Uh, Mr. Eli Sussman. So Eli, pleasure to have you back. Uh, thanks for, for doing this and how are we doing? Uh, I'm honored to be on here for the second time in a couple months, actually. So I'm glad uh, you came back here with a very different idea. One so different that I don't think it really belongs on a podcast called Swimming Upstream, right? Because we're really swimming backstream, whatever direction we're swimming. It's, it's, it's certainly a change of pace from what you normally do, but one that even more so than me, honestly, both you and Francisco are immensely qualified to, you're probably going to beat me pretty bad, I'm saying, in, in this draft because of your familiarity and your passion uh, about the history of the team and all the minutiae about the team and uh, all the, all the everything about the team. It's, it's amazing. And I'm glad to give this a test drive for you. I know this is the first time doing this in this precise format, but in the same way that, you know, I've done with drafts on my pod, I feel this is something that's kind of replicable, you know, something that other people can do from, from home. People could do from, from themselves, conduct their own drafts as well uh, with all the options that are out there. This is a great idea. So I'm glad to be on here for the maiden voyage of it. Yeah, definitely. And, and privileged to have you. I mean, yeah, I think you're right. What we normally do is not really uh, with the past of the franchise. Actually, it's the antithesis and it's the future of the franchise. So uh, a big switch uh, for those of you that were expecting prospects coverage. We're doing something different, but uh, again, just something fun, uh, something to uh, to get our minds off of what's currently going on, uh, and to uh, to take our minds off of this lockout wherever that's going to go. I, I mean, that's a different conversation. So uh, yeah, just just a fun idea, uh, and it was it was a uh, it was birthed from what you guys did at Fish Stripes with the uh, with the future draft that that we did and that Kevin and Isaac did recently. So uh, kudos to you for the. Uh, for the inspiration. <laughs> and then our, our second guest on the show, we want to get to this man. I mean, I think this guy is going to handily win this over, especially over me. Oh, I don't no. know about Eli. No, I think no, no, great, no. But, yeah. uh, especially over me. I think this man is hyping me up too much guys. Right. <laughs> to join us to do this. He runs the at Marlins history account on Twitter. So we're talking about Marlins history. We have at Marlins history. Who more could you ask for than, than this? <laughs> this man's name is Francisco Orporta. Francisco, oh, yeah. I mean, thanks yeah, so much yeah, for coming on. I really love your project. It's it's really great to meet you, and thank you so much for doing this. So, firstly, how are we doing, man? And I want to ask you a second question after that, but go ahead. <laughs> uh, I'm doing all right. Uh, I'm an attorney by day, so I just got back from work. <laughs> you know, it's, it comes with the, the territory, but I do the Marlins history stuff on the side just to just just out of fun, actually. So I. I, I I don't know what your follow-up question is to that, but I'm doing all right. I'm doing good. So thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm pretty happy about this. This is, this is going to be fun. 
Definitely. My, my second question to follow it up, you kind of answered it already, but you know, we were talking about it beforehand off the air, like, uh, you know, no knocks on the current, you know, front office, but since this takeover, um, I think we can all agree the, the nods to the past um, have been quite um, minimal to put it nicely. So I think you'll probably agree with me. So I I think that would tie in with why you wanted to do Marlins history and why you wanted to bring us this project, but I'll let you answer. Go ahead. So like the, pretty much everybody else when the pandemic hit i'm just sitting there in my room like well i've got nothing to do everybody's on twitter everybody's looking at stuff and i'm just like looking through well, what could be interesting to do and uh, honestly i i call i've kind of fallen uh out of baseball for quite a bit I wasn't really watching as many games, which is Major League Baseball's problem, but but it wasn't enticing me. I was like, man, I really love going to the game with my dad and doing all this and that. I'm like, well, let me look on Twitter. Has, any, has anybody ever done something like this? And it's like, okay, well, there's nobody doing it for the Marlins. I saw some like dead profiles for like Braves history and, and Royals history. There's not many people doing this. So I'm just like, well, the handle hasn't been taken, so I'm going to take it now just in case. And I just went Marlins history and let's go from there and, uh, and just kind of chronicle the history of, of the team, but also not just the team. You guys notice that I post like photographs of like the fan experience, the knickknacks, all the novelty items, you know, Marlins keychains and Christmas ornaments and things like that. Things that you wouldn't really, like a lot of people focus on just the players and the things that the executive moves and things like that. But to me, a lot of the things that why I liked baseball was the experience you get from watching the game with your family or your friends and, and that whole experience of going to pro player stadium. And I call it pro player stadium. People want to call it Jarabi, but that place is a baseball stadium more than a football stadium to me. So uh, just that experience going up the spirals you know, sitting down on a Sunday afternoon and uh, melting. That is this the stuff that people, as much as we feel like, oh man, you, Mar- you know, Lone Depot Park with the roof and the AC, it's all great and all. But there was a, uh, it's almost like we didn't know any better. And that sense of nostalgia, much like the, the, the Mad Men gif, you know, it's, 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 it's uh it's powerful it's potent right it's delicate it's potent it's just it's great so i'm like well let's just do this and people kind of poo poo on the marlins uh especially lately and even down here down here in south florida because of the fire sales that the trades you know 1997 and it's amazing how much the fan like and i can go on and on about how different the fan like fan relationship between the Marlins and South Florida was before that happened. And it's probably the, one of the most unique relationships between a fan base and its team in all of sports, because it's the success was there and then they took it away. And then another success, which was surprising to everybody and they gradually took it away and then really took it away after 05. And then we thought another cycle was going to happen, but that didn't happen. I still swear that 2019 was going places if they really, if they had gone all in. Um, and then 2012 happened, uh, which 
wasn't great. And then uh, 2017 happened. Uh, although I was for that one at least, but it's, it's amazing how broken the relationship is and how, and really a lot of people want to criticize the current ownership, but this is one of the hardest uphill battles. I think any new ownership coming into a team has taken, I mean, only team, only people worse would be if like the four families sold the Detroit lions or something <laughs> like it's just, it's really bad. Um, and I, I want to kind of, I wanted to rally this Marlins fan base because people love this team. Uh, I've covered the Florida Panthers for Letterbox Cats, which is SB Nation's Florida Panthers site. Um, I've written, I've covered games. Uh, I do graphic design for them every year. And that fan base is also very much uh, beaten and broken down from years of just mediocrity and, and terribleness. And, and, you know, this year is fantastic. And I'm hoping that the Marlins will eventually get to the way the Panthers are just beating down teams right now. Um, and that kind of uh, getting that fan base back, getting everybody back on the bandwagon, because I think a lot of people have fallen out of favor with the Marlins, but I don't think they've fallen out of love for them. And it just takes just a few competent teams and keeping a few guys here for the long run to, to kind of put it together, you know, hopefully a championship, but if they can string together actual consistency, much like the Miami heat did Miami heat, you know, it was tough for a while. They didn't win until 2006, but they built a base of, Hey, look guys, we may not win it all every year, but we're going to sure as hell try and, and try and, and be there all the time. And if, and um, and so th this it's it's a sense of pride for this team. And, the, and you've I mean, we notice Marlins Twitter. It's kind of a wild, wild place, but it's also a fun place between uh, us diehards. Um, and it's it's really cool to see. And, and hopefully we'll get more people on the bandwagon to, to come and join us and see how crazy we are. Um, but it's uh, I just want to to be to have people be as prideful about this team as I was as I was um, because I think we all have our memories of going to see a Marlins game down here so hopefully I'm, I'm doing that and we'll we'll have some new memories too because you know it kind of sucks that we're still we're almost 20 years from 2003 and you know we need some new ones too yeah so that's absolutely. my opening line there you go <laughs> and great well said I mean everything that you said I can kind of align with um, I grew up going to the old city and my mom grew up a single mom. We bought $5 seats in the rafters and uh, just moved down. <laughs> that was kind of a thing at the old city. We yeah. just moved down to empty seats and, and, and get a great view of the game, you know, rain delays. I remember running around as a kid and collecting all of the souvenir cups that people had left behind that had left from the rain delay. They had purchased <laughs> one. So I still have many of those today. Um, just great memories. And that's really why I wanted to do this is just and I do this through your account. It's just relive those memories of walking through those tunnels into those orange seats, you know, seeing the big teal monster and, and seeing Gary Sheffield and Jeff Conine play. Like that was, that was me and my sisters and my mom growing up. That was just like a main weekly getaway for us just to go to a Marlins game. And what really birthed my love for this team and for me being able to do what I do now. So uh, it's a pleasure to have you, man. And we're, we're going to get into this draft and I'm excited to hear some of the names that we throw out because it's going to be nostalgic as well. So uh, we'll get to it. Um, this is how I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to decide the order. Uh, Eli did this on his show. I'm going to do it on my show as well. 
Uh, I'm going to ask a random trivia question. It's just a random trivia question that I thought up that I thought would be challenging for all of us and knowing everything that we know about the history of this team. Uh, it's going to be about an off year uh, that, that many of us may not remember or may not remember very well, at least. Uh, so um, it's just something that I drew up and we're going to decide the order this way. It's a countable stat. So whoever gets closest will be first. The next closest will be second. And the last closest will be third. And the trivia question is this. It is that uh, it's going to be about the 1996 season. So the season before, obviously, the first world championship. That season, the Marlins were 80 and 82. So just below 500. My question to decide the order is this. How many of those 80 games did the Florida Marlins win at Joe Robbie Stadium? So at home. And the first person I'll go to to ask this question is Eli. So Eli, go ahead. 37. Okay, so 37 from Eli. Uh, Francisco, go ahead. How many at home wins did the Marlins have in 1996? Say they went 80 and 82. Teams tend to do better at home. So I'm going to go with 45. Okay. And my guess is, is going to be very similar to Francisco's. I'm going to guess 43. So my guess is 43. Eli, you said 37. And Francisco, you said 45. Is this correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So let me look it up. I had the search already input it into my phone you just hit enter splits and then team win loss splits on baseball reference okay so the number is 52 oh, the what? 52 games at home and 28 games on the road wow so, if they had just done a little bit better on the road they would have made the um would they have made yeah. the postseason what, what was the i don't know what's the standings were that season but yeah they were 96. Uh, they finished in third place in the NL. Ninety-six. The Braves, of course, won the NL East. Yeah. Uh, I think the Padres won the NL West. The Cardinals won the yep. Central, and I forgot who won the Wild Card that season. Yep, um, you're exactly right. I am really shocked. I thought I thought I would get that because I remember running a query um, recently card, about the Marlins at home um, each year, and and I mean, just on I think the Lance, Dodgers what I won like the Wild Card or something like that. There's so. so few years in their history where they've actually had a winning record at home because quietly they had a winning record at home in 2021. I don't know if people realize that that they would that la- this year I guess the same as '96 they had really big home road splits. But all right, credit to you guys. Yeah, that was a hard question. I just I I wanted to think of something that was like a guess for all of us. <laughs> it was definitely a guess. It was, it was, it was a guess. <laughs> it was a guess. Okay. So yeah. And you're right, Francisco. Um, the Braves won. The Expos were in second at 88 and 74. The Marlins were 80 and 82. Cardinals won the central Padres won the West and the Dodgers were the wild card. So um, yeah, if they would have just done slightly better on the road, then they, they could have been in the playoffs that year, but uh, it is what it is. Okay. So uh, Francisco, you'll be first. I will go second and Eli will go last. Um, so yeah, let's, let's get to it. Uh, your, uh, you got your pick here. Anybody in the organization that's ever played for the organization, it could be a pass. Anybody player. in the organization and any position. Okay. But at, at any position. Okay. Yeah. So I guess you, I have to pick my first baseman then, or my first, or whatever I want to choose from here. Exactly. You can pick okay. who you want. Uh, just the parameters that I laid out, just, we want to focus on guys that really contributed to the Marlins. So no Piazza, no Adrian Gonzalez. Yeah, yeah, no guys that were like a week there. Or exactly. Or so, okay, I, I understand. Ahead. All right, so um, minimum criteria, pen, like just for that alone, 
And I, I know I should go with the obvious pick, which uh, I think we all know who would that be. But I want to choose my first baseman early on. And so I'm going to choose Carlos Delgado. Because his 2005 season was amazing down here. I mean, a lot of people forget he was here, which was, uh, and that we actually signed him, which I was surprised we even signed him. And I was a teenager back then, but his, his 2005 season was amazing. And then he, you know, we turned him off to New York uh, and he did amazing for a couple seasons down there too. And, uh, and I look back at Carlos Delgado's I'm like, man, his numbers were amazing. And he's, and he was just shy of a lot of milestones in, in major league baseball. So, you know, I think he was, I don't know how many, home runs he came but you know injuries got to him at the end if he had been a little bit healthier or even heck played for an american league team at the end of his career instead of stayed in new york i think he would have lasted a few more seasons and gotten some of those milestones probably at least 500 home runs and i would say is a hall of famer um i'm not an advanced stats type of guy um i i don't really look i just like the eye test and just kind of with the nostalgia type of thing and I'm just like, hey, you know what? That, that guy seemed pretty good to me. I always liked them. So uh, as far as like the first baseman in, in the team's history, like I know we had Dealey. I had post, posted that uh, kind of trivia thing on my uh, Twitter handle. And but uh, we've had Derek Lee. We've had uh, Justin Bohr. We've had um, uh, Jeff Conan has played first base, obviously. Um, and. Uh, Darren Dalton popped by for a spell for that, for that run at the end of 97. But like Carlos Delgado for one season, one monster season. Yeah, I'd like to have him at first base. I'm going to take my first baseman and go with that because first baseman seems to be a big anchor for a lot of teams. So I'm going to go with first baseman. Yeah. All right. Good pick. Uh, Delgado, uh, number one. Uh, I would say kind of a surprise for me. I didn't expect him to go first overall, but uh, definitely a good pick. Um, and to get first base out of the way early is definitely good. So yeah, Delgado number one to Francisco. Um, I got next. I will go uh, with second base first overall because I don't oh. think there's a ton later on. So um, you know this may also seem like a surprise, but I will go with Luis Castillo um, as my first overall on on my team. Um, this guy leads the organization in so many different stats. He's like third overall in wins above replacement. Uh, leads the organization in hits, leads the organization in steals, leads the organization in walks. I think this guy was insurmountable for the Marlins organization, obviously a 2003 World Series champion. And just a guy that you could rally around as that smaller guy that was just a, a spark plug and, and really, really good. So I like Luis Castillo. Second base, Luis Castillo is first overall for me. So we're down to Eli. I think I know who he's going to pick, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, team Eli was distraught that we had the last pick in the first round but we are stunned and thrilled that top overall prospect here falls right into my lap it is jose fernandez as my right-handed pitcher as, as somebody that runs an account that engages fortunately with a lot of those marlins fans that are still around there's not just picking for myself but representing the whole community there's nobody like him that has that inspires as much delight and an awe and joy even now even under the circumstances than he does he his performance was otherworldly something that was not really rivaled by anybody before or even since as much as we think of the current pitchers in the organization now he was one of a kind one of one and i'm i'm thrilled to have him as leading my team number three overall pick all right there you go jose um and who can argue with that i mean 
It's the kid, right? I mean, you can't argue with that one. Great pick. All right, so we'll go to round two. Uh, Francisco, you're up. Go ahead. All right, so I've got my first baseman, and Eli chose a starting pitcher and got that one out of the way. And I think I need to get I get I need to get an ace out of the way so I can have that righty ace. So I'm gonna go with. Gosh, this is because I'm either gonna choose by my heart or just by pure like man. I I want that dog on 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 the mound right now. Um, Oh man, this is actually harder than I thought it would be to choose a starting pitcher. That's right. right Right-handed pitcher, but let's actually, you know what? Let's go with it. Kevin Brown. So I'm gonna choose Kevin Brown. Uh, He was only here for two seasons, but he was the ace of the Marlins 96 and 97 came up big Uh, 96, um, like just a, a monster season. Had Cy Young votes in that season. I made the All Star team. Uh, Ninety seven, of course, ace of the staff. Uh, uh, he throws a no hitter during the season against the Giants. Then uh, uh, ninety seven NLCS game six talks down Jim Leland from from taking him out of the game. Something that um, uh, Blake's now should have done to Kevin Cash, obviously, but. You know, just just stare him down. You are not coming out here, and that's what Kevin Brown did. And of course, and he he yeah, he lost his two starts during the World Series. But I think if you want straight up ace and guy at his prime, I think Kevin Brown. And of course, he had a monster '98 season with the Padres, getting them to the World Series. But of course, this is Marlins stuff, and his Marlins stuff was pretty damn good. And uh, getting my righty starting pitch out of the way, I'm gonna I'm gonna choose Kevin Brown. Peak prime Kevin Brown. Yeah, another another good pick. There were no hitter, you know, good pick. Um, I have great memories of watching Kevin Brown throw. And as Eli mentioned on one of his Jeopardy episodes, probably one of the best free agent signings ever in Marlins history. So yeah, definitely like Kevin Brown. Good pick. Um, I'm going to go, I, I think there's pitching to be had later on. So I, I'm going to go to outfield and there's probably more of these to be have, had later on as well, but I'm going to go with Maggie, um, Miguel Cabrera, future hall of famer, you know, fourth overall in terms of war for the Marlins, just absolutely just can't, can't say enough about the memories. I remember his first game. I remember his home run off of Roger Clemens, you know, in, in the world series, which was absolutely amazing after he got headhunted by Clemens who was known for that. And then he came back to just, just put one out in that game, which was amazing. So I, I can't say enough about Miggy. Like that, that guy was a pure, pure staple for the Miami Marlins franchise, Florida Marlins franchise, and will be remembered forever. So I'll say Miggy, uh, left fielder, number two for me. Uh, Eli, you're he, he was high. He was high on my draft board, and I was thinking about whether to classify him as a third baseman or a left fielder. And I guess you could do both. So. I was struggling to to like, should I just choose the obvious, you know, future Hall of Famer and Miguel Cabrera yeah. for my first overall pick? But I'm like, no, let's let's get with first base. So, so yeah, yeah, yeah. With with this one, not just because he's been on my screen for a lot of this recording, but as my left handed starting pitcher, it's Dontrell Willis. He trained. This is uh, a a huge credit of course to how spectacular he was in 03 and even more so in 05 I mean every time I look back at 2005 it looks better in hindsight than it even did at the time and it gets more and more inexplicable that he didn't win Cy Young that year I I know that he himself is like 
clearly aware of that, of how even in his time, a little bit underrated, even back then, as much as interesting as that team was someone that everybody appreciated for the style that he brought to this game and the attitude that he brought to this game. But, but as a pitcher during those first few years, fantastic. And in this organization that's had a lot of awesome pitching, it really has skewed a lot towards righties. I think there's a pretty big drop-off from D train to all these other lefties that the organization has had, which is why for me, he's, he's who I'm going with. Uh, Got my right-hander off, got my left-hander off. And yeah, my team, we're going to have more fun than anybody else having Jose Fernandez and Dontra Willis. (laughs) Definitely some personalities there for sure. Uh, Francisco, you're up uh, first pick of the third round. Go ahead. Third round, so that means I'm going to go third base, and I'm choosing Mike Lowell. Okay, I, I need someone at the hot corner, and I need the guy with the best glove at hot corner. And that's 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 Mike Lowell, but you know, you know the FIU alum, and just he was here for traded here from the Yankees of '99 to yeah, I think he was here through 2005 as well. And then he was turned off to Boston along with Josh Beckett and just the guy that was reliable as all hell with just uh, driving in runs. And then his ability to come back from that broken hand during the Oh three playoffs, especially the way he came back was in game one of the NLCS against the Cubs extra innings. And he hits a pinch hit home run (laughs) to, 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 complete his comeback uh just uh, someone that uh has maintained a close relationship with the team of course he's 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 um lived down here and all that stuff he's from, basically from here so uh, just someone that i think everybody connects with so mike lowell for sure yeah i gotta love the goatee yep awesome love mike lowell um Great dude and a staple on that, on that O3 team. And, and yeah, good pick for sure. And defense, like you said, speaks for itself. So um, I guess I can, you take my pitchers later because you guys, well, at least Eli has taken both of his and then, you know, I guess we got to address lefty later on as well. So um, I'll, I'll skip on pitching here. I may, I may get pitching next time, but I'm going to go and fill out what I think could be a superstar outfield and take Giancarlo Stanton. Um, Giancarlo Stanton, right field, um, overall leader ever in Marlins history in team war, overall leader in home runs, um, defense arm was really good. I mean, it's Giancarlo, uh, you know, he's, he was, he was that good. I mean, every time you went out to a game, it was to watch, especially in those years that he was here, you know, you're there to watch Jose or you're there to watch Giancarlo and he didn't disappoint on most nights the hormone off the scoreboard at, at Lone Depot, which was then Marlins Park is, is definitely fresh in the minds of everybody. And I think will be forever. Uh, so even though he's gone on to the Yankees and, and that's probably where he's going to make his hall of fame cases, probably with the Yankees. I think he misses us though. I think he misses us a little bit. Probably. He's got to miss us a little bit, especially when he's getting booed. Yeah. But Giancarlo, <laughs> man, I uh, can't argue against him. Some of the best power in the game and, and the, the best power hitter ever as a Miami Marlins. So Giancarlo right field. Eli, go ahead. You sniped him from me. Like, he was next up on my board, but I'm 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 just as satisfied. To um, it was neck and neck between him and Gary Sheffield. Gary Sheffield is going to be my pick at right field, 
the trivia question you started us off with uh, the 96 team and all the wins they had at home. How many games did they win at home without Chef? I mean, 96, as good as his career was, I think 96 was as good as it got. He was arguably the best hitter in baseball that year in the midst of the steroid era, overshadowed by a whole lot of other guys. The the numbers from that season, man, uh, like twice as many walks as strikeouts, um, 465 on base percentage in a full season. He played pretty much every game. That's getting on base almost half the time. And he was, he did it the year before. Um, he did it a little bit the year after, of course, and helping them win the title. Um, he's awesome. He should be in the hall of fame. It does not seem like it's going to happen this year, but he's got a little bit more of a chance in these next couple of years after this to uh, get over that hump and get in. A special, a special player from just the way that he swung that bat and the combination of skills he had as a hitter that are, I think, even more rare than people realize. In an era that had a lot of crazy offensive numbers, he was at the top of the heap. And I, I wish he uh, spent even longer with the Marlins. He had a lot of time left on his contract when they traded him. It could have been a, a longer stint. And I, th- I think it's fair to say that Stanton is probably the slightly better pick here, but. Assuming who's available at this point, I'm, I'm satisfied with Chef. My sister's all-time favorite player. Like, when we were going to games when I was a kid, like I explained before, I was all about Jeff Conine. I mean, I love the whole team, but Jeff Conine was, like, my my childhood hero. And hers was Gary Sheffield. And, man, like, I've, I said it on your show when we talked about the Hall of Fame, Eli, like, Batwaggle, like, that's imprinted on baseball fans forever. Like, even kids that are growing up nowadays know about it his kids are doing it when they're playing, you know, growing up with their, their high school and minor league careers. So uh, chef, I mean, he had his restaurant out there and what was that like, uh, like right center field for a little while there at the old park. So marketable. Uh, Yeah. So great pick in lieu of Stanton. That's a great pick. So uh, Francisco, we're into round four, go ahead. So round four. And I want to get, because I've already got my ACE starting pitcher and I think I should pair him with just my shutdown closer. And that's Rob Nen. So I'm taking Rob Nen. The Marlins have a few closers in their history, but it's it's not as iconic as as any of their righty starting pitchers. I, I think you notice, and I think it's kind of the same kind of uh, very shallow pool like the left-handed starting pitchers, which I'm starting to think about now. I'm just you know frantically look, looking through Baseball Reference trying to figure out some good ones out there. But yeah, I need my Rob Nen, who just I mean just his his face just looks intimidating, and uh, and he likes a lot of my stuff on Instagram. So I'm a, I gotta send some love to him. So Rob Nen for sure, um, and I'm just thinking because between him and, and and let's let's say even the two champions, him and Uget Urbina, who you know the Marlins traded for midseason uh, in 2003, Urbina he blew the save in Game Four of of 03 against the Yanks. He blew it, and he almost blew it in Game Five. He almost blew it in game five. So that's, and I think that's a lot of reason why uh, Jack McKinnon didn't pull back in game six as well. Uh, but yeah, surely Rob Nen right there. That, that's my next pick. All right, Rob Nen. Yeah, Marlins definitely have had a, a lieu of close, a, a, a wide variety of closers. So I think you got a good one there with this pick, Rob Nen. Good one. Uh, for sure. Um, uh, back to me. Uh, I'm filling out middle infield that I'm going to go Hanley. Um, Hanley is a guy that had a little bit of an adventure here in, in Miami. 
Um, they're still playing baseball to this day, by the way, back in, uh, in, in his hometown. So uh, I guess there's something to be said for that. Yep. I think he's like 39 years old right now and playing in the DR, I believe. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty cool to see the durability. Uh, but, man, Hanley was was great for the Marlins, second all-time in war. Um, you can go down the stats, you know, very, very, very good. Uh, just the guy that was that that guy that you can be guaranteed to get on base. And for the most part, played okay defense. Um, sometimes it was lacking. I mean, I'm sure we all remember his dog into the corner when he decided to kick the ball and then gingerly jog after it. But uh, yeah, I mean, third all-time batting average, um, basically a four out of five tool player. Uh, and Hanley was the guy for a while. Like I said, it was a guy that you showed up to see in those years. So I like Hanley. Uh, that's my shortstop. Um, so yep, Hanley Ramirez uh, to go alongside Luis Castillo in my middle infield and I'll go on to Eli for his pick in round four. A lot of different directions I could go here. Um, I will just a position that is kind of shallow after this guy, I'll look to first base and get Derek Lee who, yeah, he's come up a lot recently because Francisco put up a, that trivia on him baseball reference. And I think we had a separate talking conversation about him in our fish stripes group chat recently about how underrated he was maybe how overrated he might have been defensively um depending on how you look back on it in my opinion though i I think he skews towards being underrated historically and in terms of as a really important figure in the history of the team because he spent more time with the team than a lot of people realize and man if, if they had somehow held on to him after that 03 season we as we see there was another higher gear in him that he reached once he left the team before he left the team, he still reached a pretty high level during those last couple seasons. And uh, I feel really good about him at first base for me. All right. Yeah. D Lee, um, the man, I mean, I was, I was talking to you, to you guys about him a little, a little uh, earlier on this month, I believe um, offense was fantastic. I mean, obviously at first base, you got to do quite a lot to be considered like a plus defender, I didn't love his defense. I think the metrics will prove that, but um, he made some plays at, at some good times for sure. As you tweeted out, Eli, I'm sure, I'm sure you remember that, but yeah, no, uh, a good pick. Uh, D Lee, he was a man, 2003 champ. So good one at a thin position, as you said. So uh, yeah, that's it for round four, round five, uh, Francisco, go ahead. So far you have Delgado at first base, Kevin Brown, right-hander, third baseman, Mike Lowell and closer Rob Nen. Where are you going next? All right. So I'm going with my catcher. And I'm choosing Pudge Rodriguez. I'm just going for it right there and then. I just uh, a general on the field with the bat to back it up. So uh, former MVP, obviously when he was with the Rangers, but one magical season with the Marlins. One absolutely magical season, his only World Series championship. And you can basically say he was the heart of that team because it the dynamic changes with him uh, believe just and nobody wanted him nobody wanted him he was damaged goods leaving texas N- nobody wanted Padre rodriguez the marlins in miami of course he has a home down here it was convenient for him to be spend time with his family but lo and behold he comes down here you know, some struggles of course jack mckeon comes in everything changes miguel cabrera's called up don Charles called up and Boom, magical run and NLCS MVP in the 2003 NLCS um, and uh, did pretty all right in the World Series as well. In fact, all the, I think every single one of the players got an, uh, of their starting nine 
got an RBI during the 2003 World Series, I think. I was looking back on it. I think at least one RBI. I think everybody drove in at least one. So it was a uh, collaborative effort for sure to take down the Yankees. But Padre Rodriguez was, I mean, him throwing out Kareem Garcia at third during game one. My God. What a way to shut down the Yankees. Be like, oh, no, you are not playing with us. We're the fish. All right. And we don't care about all this history you guys got here. So, yeah, Padre Rodriguez, that's my that's my pick. Yeah, I think that's the best catcher ever uh, in the history of the Marlins. So definitely got catcher out of the way with a very good one. Um, I my favorite play of his, of course, is the the Conine throw against J.T. Snow. Um, that will. How could I forget forever. mentioning that? My God, <laughs> I was at that game too. Lives in my <laughs> mind forever as as a Conine super fan growing up. Like I was, I was living in California at the time when that happened. I was freaking out listening on the radio. I was like, Oh my God. Like Conine was not the best outfield arm, but he saved the game. <laughs> it was awesome. So yeah. Uh, good pick uh, for me. I'll, I'll round out uh, my outfield. I have left field and I have right field. I'm going to go center field and I have to pick Christian Yelich. Um, Christian Yelich. Uh, it's a name that most Marlins fans don't like because of his terms of his departure. Um, through no fault of his own, but man, while he was here, just a, a, a shoe in for a 280 plus batting average. You know, I think he's tied with, with my boy Conine, my guy Conine on the all-time list in batting average at, at 290 as a Marlin. And then of course he goes to the Brewers and wins an MVP, you know, but while he was here with the Marlins, that guy could have definitely contributed if the organization would have gone in a different way, would have definitely contributed to world series championships, playoff runs, whatever it would have been. So Yelich as a pure hitter, um, and just a guy that could play any outfield spot and, and really hold it down for you as, as a cornerstone of any of any any franchise, any organization, which is what he's proving. So Yelich for everything that he did here. Um, awesome. So that that rounds out my outfield with with Christian. So, Eli, go ahead. This is uh, uh, round five for you. My heart skipped the beat when you kept teasing, like edging in about Conine, your guy, your favorite guy, and you're not going to pick him. I'm going to pick him. He's going to be my left fielder, Jeff Conine. It was just, it was brought to my attention uh, this week about how uh, reflecting on work stoppages, how the time missed in 94, 95, that's the only thing that stopped him from reaching 2000 hits. He was right there with his career, both early in his career with the Marlins and a little bit later on, especially though that first stint, just an awesome, awesome offensive player who had a really improbable story. Uh, I don't think enough people realize like how much of an underdog he was entering pro ball, how improbable he was to reach he, the big leagues. He was a pitcher, right? Yeah, yes. he was. Yeah, he was, was drafted pitcher, as yes. a pitcher, right? He was primarily a pitcher in college at UCLA and that it took a while to stick. And I mean, but as soon as Marlins, he hit the ground running in the ultimate way, what four hits in the very first game. And he never really slowed down for, except for a work stoppage. The work stoppage is the only thing that could slow him down from being quietly one of the better hitters in baseball throughout that chunk of the nineties, super duper long career. And has spent about half of it with the Marlins. And uh, yeah, another thing that I was looking up is I was actually surprised to see that in his whole career, with most of his other teams, he actually played a lot more first base than he did in left field, but with the Marlins, a lot of left field. So I don't, I don't think it's any controversy for me to slide him in that position over here. Just a really steady player, a great guy. And hopefully not too long from now, his, his son will be bringing that same name 
into modern day Marlins colors into Lone Depot Park um, in, in the near future as a guy that's come up, of course, on the usual swimming upstream episodes when we actually focus on prospects. So that'd be the ultimate thing to tie it together. Uh, in case not, um, I want to hold on to the older Conine on my team with my fifth round pick. Yeah. Like I said, I idolized him growing up, like two-time World Series champion. Best dude. I mean, solid, so solid. 1995 All-Star Game MVP. Would have done more if not for that stoppage, like you said, in, in 94, I believe. So, yeah. Um, Conine as, as, as the guy that's just that's – just, he's just Marlins. Like, when you think about the Marlins, you think about Jeff Conine. So, uh, love him. Love it. Absolutely love it. Uh, hate that I couldn't get him, but – you know, good to see him get picked. Uh, Francisco, we're into round six. Go ahead. Okay, so so Conan as a left fielder, which was taken from me. <laughs> so I'm going to go with the next best one. And I think this is another one of the – I got a lot of one-hit, one-year wonders here, and that's Moises Alou. So I'm going with Moises Alou. Monster 97 season. It's too bad we could only see it for one season, but – he made the most of it. He led the team in RBIs that season. Uh, monster home run in the World Series as well. Monster, uh, just uh, just an offensive juggernaut for the team, for sure, driving in those runs. And, yeah, I, I can't really – just the iconic batting stance with the, the, the pigeon toe uh, stance that he had um, and just the, the stillness of it, but just always a, a great stance, a great swing from him. And, uh, and just watching back that 97 VHS all the time and just how much he, you could see like, man, having that guy on up at the plate, you, you couldn't be, uh, uh, you had to be really careful throwing to him for sure. Cause he was going to put the ball in play and, de- and definitely drive it. So for sure, Moises Alou, my left fielder. Yep. Good one. I think we all can remember him as well from the Bartman play, but that's another conversation. Anyways, um, I'll go with my right-handed pitcher here and I'll get Josh Johnson. Um, Josh Johnson's a guy that is not talked about a lot um, in, in, you know, for the Marlins uh, because he had, didn't win a world series here. You know, he was here in the down losing years, you know, from like, what was that? Oh, five to 2012, which most of those years were not great. Um, but man, just a solid, solid pitcher. I mean, all six of his full seasons, his ERA was under four. He led the NL in ERA once as a Marlin, just so solid. You could count on this guy for six innings, basically every time out, good mix of pitches and a guy that I believe leads the Marlins all time in pitcher war. So I got to go Josh Johnson, right-handed pitcher. And that's going to be my pick here in round six. Eli, go ahead. His pick is Dan Ugla, my six-round pick, my second baseman. I, I, I have a few choices here that I really liked, but it has to be Ugla, and I love my team. Basically, at all these positions, I have guys that are just consistent mashers, uh, and Ugla kind of like Conine in that Rule 5 draft pick in the mid-20s by the time he really got a shot in the big, in the big leagues, and as soon as he got that shot, he was awesome um, at a position – in second base that traditionally you weren't expecting a whole lot of power from he is really high on that list of guys that were able to do it and do it consistently and do it in a very fun way. Um, he didn't really scrape the wall. He hit no doubters as, as we very vividly remember 
briefly held the Marlins record for career home runs right before uh, I think Stanton was the one that eventually overtook him. He, he was awesome for that full half decade, 2006 through uh, 2010. He was, it was, it was frustrating to lose him, but as the way things turned out, you know, they did get the best years out of him, a lot of great memories out of them. And he, he played a single-handedly, he played a pretty big, big part in allowing some of those teams to overachieve in both 06 uh, as in 2009, I think he had as many home runs as anybody in the, what was it? Was it the 2008 infield or the 2009 infield that had uh, all I think those it was the 08. I think it was yeah. the 08 one. That's what I thought. He was, he, he was, it was critical. It was him, uh, Hanley, of course, Jorge Cantu. And was it Mike Jacobs at first? Yeah. Mike yeah. Jacobs, right. There we go. And they were, and they were doing that at, Pro player, Sun Life, whatever you want to call that stadium. Sure. They were doing all of that with primarily their home games there. Could you imagine if they were in Philly? <laughs> it would have been insane. Wow. Of course, the pitching staff might have suffered for sure, but yeah. <laughs> exactly. Wow. That infield. Yeah. So, uh, so Ugla for me, uh, a couple all star selections during his Marlins career. He was, he was just a, a real pleasure to watch. And I'm, uh, I'm thrilled to have him on my team. Those forearms, man. I think that's all we could say about Dan Ugla. Shortest dude in the world. About so fish army right now. <laughs> so much strength. Like, not the biggest dude, but man, he can make it fly. And yeah, the, his name is Dan Ugla. That was like, as Eli alluded to, that was like a a mainstay every time he hit a home run from Rich and Tommy. So a good name, definitely, and a guy that they just found randomly for free in the Rule Five draft. So good pick uh, for sure. Uh, round seven. Let's go, Francisco. Round seven. I've been struggling with this. I need to pick one out. Of, I just need to get out of the way. I'm going to just a left-handed pitcher. I'm just going to go with outlier. He's the only one I can really think of that's of note. <laughs> uh, I, it's just amazing that like most of the Marlins great pitchers, starting pitchers at least have been righties. I've been primarily righties. You got Dontrell out of the way and it's like, well, all right, outlier. He was on the 97 team. Definitely not picking Mark Redman. So just going with Outlider, right? He came here for for uh, uh, that, was it? He was here for from like 95. I think he came in 95 and 96 and 97. And then he had that that weird slight comeback here, like an 05 or something like that. Yeah. Or he, he suited up for the team and was just awful. Then he was definitely uh, needed to be put out to pasture by then. But yeah, Outlider is the only significant one. He was the starting pitcher in game seven of the 97 world series. So he didn't get the win obviously, but he held the Indians potent offense long enough for the Marlins to stage their comeback. So outlier. Man, totally sniped for me. I'm going to have to get very creative at left-handed pitcher. That's for sure. Uh, so backup plan for team Alex right here. <laughs> I was going to go lighter right here, but a uh, backup plan. I'll get catcher. Um, and I think it's between two guys and I'm going to take the more recent one. I'm going to go JT real Muto, um, JT real Muto. I covered coming up through the minor leagues, uh, just in- incredible. Everything he did in the minor leagues, you could, you can kind of tell that he was going to be this all around player. And then he came up to, to the Marlins and was just absolutely fantastic. Uh, I mean, ninth arts all time in player war at 13.9. Um, arm spoke for itself and just an offensive catcher, which in this era of baseball, you don't see a lot. And I think he will go down in history, not 
only because of what he did with the Marlins, but probably more for other teams as, as one of the best catchers of this era. So I'm going to go JT Real Muto as my catcher, as backup plan, because I was going to take Al Lighting. But anyways, that's my catcher. JT, go ahead, Eli. <laughs> Seventh round pick, I will select center fielder Preston Wilson, a guy that just got really rotten luck being sandwiched in between the World Series teams. So he played for the team in 98, all the way to 2002. So right in between those beautiful years. And all he did in between is he mashed extra base hits and he stole bases and he played center field. He was just a really good player that yeah. just had lousy timing with this team. Uh, and I'm still a fan of him in retirement. Of course, did some, he's been good as a broadcaster. Uh, he got a, good he a, got a, he got a ring in 06 with the Cardinals at least. Yes. Yeah. Yes, he did. He did uh, more, more of a, yeah. He was, he was actually better in 06 than I remember too. He was, he still had something left in the tank there. Um, but yeah, he's had a good second act as a broadcaster as well uh, as the Twitter personality. And at, at this position, yeah, this is a thinner position than you might think center field in the history of the Marlins. They've, had, they've been stacked at the corner spots, but in center field, he's almost as good as it gets. Um, I'm, I'm happy to have him right here. Seventh round pick, Preston Wilson. Right, Preston Wilson. Yeah, spark plug galore. I mean, that guy, probably one of the fastest guys ever in the Marlins organization. So a good pick for sure. Um, put it together with average too. So timing kind of screwed him, as Eli said, but a good one for sure. And probably not somebody that a lot of casual Marlins fans think about. But yes, Preston Wilson was here and he was good for the Marlins. So uh, Francisco, it's round eight. Uh, you're up. I can tell you what you have so far. You have Delgado at first base, Brown right-handed pitcher. Third baseman, Mike Lowell, closer, Rob Nen, catcher, Pudge Rodriguez, left fielder, Moise Salou, and left-handed pitcher, Al Leiter. So where are you going in round eight? I'm going with center field now that Eli's kind of uh, reminding me of how not, there's not much in center. So we're going with Juan Pierre. Going with Juan Pierre. I mean, the man, three seasons here. Like he had 200 hits each season, right, uh, that he was here. And the first Marlin to do that by the way, didn't have, of course, didn't have the best of arms in center field, but with that speed, he could run down anything, especially uh, in pro player stadium back there in the Bermuda triangle and just the ultimate leadoff hitter, like just the guy that refused to strike out and would just put the ball in play. And then we'll see what happens from there. Of course, uh, we've, if you've seen my account, I've posted videos of his bunting philosophy and how he every ballpark he goes to, he sees how the, the ball uh, moves. He would just roll it down the line to see how it would move. He would specifically tell the groundskeepers at Pro Player to kind of, you know, mow the lawn a certain way, put the dirt down a certain way so that the ball could stay fair. And yeah, scored some iconic runs for the team. Uh, and yeah, just the ultimate leadoff hitter. So I'm going with Juan Pierre center field. Yeah. Good one. Uh, JP was a man. I mean, still a cool dude to this day. You see him on, on podcasts and everything. And, you know, he's still within the organization as an instructor as well. So I love JP. I mean, just pure excitement as a baseball player um, got on base and then it wasn't done from there for sure. Right. So yeah, a good one there with um, the JP. Um, I'll go to another very thin position for our, our Marlins. And this, I think, has been a very thin position for 
for most of the, the uh, tenure of this franchise. And with Michael already gone, third base is kind of up in the air. I'll pick a current player and I'll go Brian Anderson. Um, Brian Anderson, I think, has a lot of questions to answer. I don't know how much longer his Marlins career will be. Um, I hope it's, you know, I hope he gets another chance after what happened last year. Because last year, you know, injuries shrouded him. You know, it's a guy that really needs to prove that he can stay on the field for sure. But man, uh, when he's on the field and he's healthy, he's very, very good. Uh, I mean, I think his defense is decent. His bat speaks for itself. There's a ton of power in his bat, ton of contact in his bat. And, you know, when you're getting on base at, at the clip that he has in his career, I, I really don't think you can argue against him as a guy that, you know, in this overall young tenure for this Marlins organization under 30 years, about to be 30 years next season in 2023. Um, I think it's a guy that, that is, that is very, very good and could be very good for a long time. If the Marlins choose to extend him, obviously with everything that we talk about with prospects, you got to see if that happens. Um, maybe the Marlins move on. I think they might everything that Kim Ang has said, who knows, but while he's been here as a whole last season included, he's been, he's been really good. I mean, 9.1 career war, which is incredible. He had an incredible minor league career. Um, you know, the overall stats are 263, 347 on base percentage, 423 slugging percentage. So just, a, I think a, a very, very overall balanced hitter with decent defense at a very thin position overall in the history of the franchise. So third baseman, Brian Anderson, as our first current player to go off the board. Uh, Eli, go ahead. You're up. We'll stick with this theme, another current player, because Brian Anderson was on my mind too at shortstop. My shortstop is going to be your current Marlins shortstop, your Capitan Miguel Rojas, who, who quietly is going to become one of the longest tenured players in the history of this organization. He fits with some of the other guys on my team as being of that, where did this guy come from? origin story a total non-prospect a, a back-of-the-mind throw-in piece in the trade that he arrived in it was with d gordon as far as dan Heron moved in that trade um a lot of guys that received more attention than miguel rojas who ends up being d gordon of course in that trade as well he's still on the board just in case you guys were wondering but miguel rojas has turned out to be one of the critical pieces of in the current iteration of the Marlins and across all of Marlins history. He's, he's one of these guys, the approval rating is off the charts because he recognizes where he came from. He, I, I, there's just this, the intangibles that he has to uh, bring the best out of his teammates, to help his teammates along, to, to do everything. He checks all those boxes intangible, intangibly and like in recent years, he's done more and more of the, the numbers stuff as well, where he is one of the better hitters against left-handed pitching in baseball over the past couple of years. I don't people may be caught off guard by that, about how like in, in certain matchups, he is one of the best bats that you could bring to the plate. In addition to what he does defensively, the fundamentals that he has and the work that he puts in to still be a really great defensive shortstop at an age where a lot of guys get pushed out of that position. He is, he is a role model. Not a whole lot of players are true role models, but he, he is, he is, uh, even on this team that has a lot of awesome talent, he'd probably be the, one of the leaders of this team with everything that he does. Miguel Rojas coming up on his 33rd birthday. But if we're just talking about what he's already done across parts of seven Marlin seasons, he's, he's done a lot. He's very accomplished. 
at the shortstop position, when it's all said and done, he's going to be remembered as near the very top of impactful Marlins shortstops. And a pretty easy pick for me this deep into the draft. Right. So yeah, that's round eight, uh, round nine. We got four more guys to talk about each. Uh, so Francisco, you're up in, in round nine and yeah, I love Miggy. You know that Eli, but go ahead, Francisco round nine. Round nine. So I'm missing one outfielder, I believe, right? The right fielder. That's all I'm missing right there. Along with my middle infielders. Um, I think that's all that I've got left. So, well, let's just try and shore up that, that infield with amazing defense and go with Alex Gonzalez. Okay. Not known for his bat, but of course I had one iconic moment with his bat, but a travesty. He didn't win a gold glove uh, with that amazing infield that everybody else won a gold glove. Derek Lee won one, Mike Lowell won, Luis Castillo did. And yet Alex Gonzalez didn't. And I guess he made it look too easy for everybody and uh, has been a great follow on my Instagram account, uh, always commenting or at least liking my stuff there from all, all the memories. And he lives down here too. Um, he's been at the Marlins alumni events that, uh, that they've done, of course, next year's 20th anniversary. We're pretty, uh, probably going to see him next year at the ballpark when they wear their uh, throwback uniforms. I don't know which ones they'll choose. I would assume they go with the black ones because that's the ones that they won in but they were on the road when they won. So I don't know. I don't know what maybe Derek Jeter doesn't want to have any PTSD about that. I'm going on a tangent, but yeah, Alex Gonzalez. <laughs> yeah. Love Alex Gonzalez. Good pick uh, for sure. Um, I got some stuff to get out of the way. Like I got to address left-handed pitching. I'm going to do that, that later on, but um, I, I got to address first base because uh, this is again, another thin position past the couple of guys that we've already talked about, such as D Lee Um you know, that's, that's obviously your, your main one who went to Eli and then uh, Delgado, uh, who you got uh, Francisco. So I, I got to get somebody at first base, right? So who's it going to be? Uh, I'm going to go with Mark Kotze. Um, Mark Kotze is a guy that broke in with the Marlins. He spent his first four years of his career with the Marlins. And those four years were very good. Um, I can give you the, the stats with the Marlins for him is 271, 310. So the, uh, oh, hold on. I'm excluding 2000. So it's 280, 322. Again, on base percentage, not great, but 411 slugging percentage. Defense was also really eh, pretty good, I would say. Um, and just a guy that went on to do great things with other teams, but it all started with with your Marlins. Um, and I'm pretty sure he got a 1997 ring, even though that was his pure rookie year and he only played like a handful of games. But still, he was on the team, he was on the roster, he gets the ring. So Mark Hatze, uh at a very thin position at first base, which continues to be a thin position for the Marlins. Um, kind of a, I guess, a historical staple, you could say, that first base has always been thin for this team, but it is what it is. Uh, one of the easier positions to fill, but for some reason, the Marlins just haven't done it very well in the course of the overall course of this franchise. So I'll say Mark Kotze, uh as a first baseman, and uh, that's kind of a deep dive, but uh, that's going to be my guy, Kotze first base. I also watched him growing up in San Diego. So yeah, I know him very well. Uh, Mark Hotze, first base for me here round nine. Eli, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully Lewin Diaz locks up that spot in a way that we haven't had in a while moving forward for me. Oh boy. Round nine. Yeah. Okay. So this one's actually pretty easy for me. I need to address catcher and uh, you guys went with Pudge. You went with Rio Muto. So for me, it's Charles Johnson who uh, uh, was gracious enough to come on 
our podcast last year in the middle of the season. He was a great guest on that. And he was a great player for the Marlins, uh, especially defensively catching what uh, he got the Kevin Brown. He got both no hitters, Al Letter and Kevin Brown. I'm pretty sure of the double check that, but he told us the story about catching the Kevin Brown no hitter for sure. He had a critical hit during that 97 during game seven of the 97 world series. And he was, he was a better offensive player than people remember as well. He has the distinction, uh, kind of an unfortunate one, of being the most recent like primary catcher of African-American descent. We, we know how that position has gone in a different direction recently. So he still holds this really uh, intangible value as well to the entire baseball community, uh, the way that he played and how he, he really was a quintessential catcher from all the little things that he did to handle a staff and to play that position. Uh, Well-deserved multiple time gold glove award winner. He played with a few different teams in between his Marlins stints and after his Marlins stints, but uh, he was as good as he ever was when he was with the team in Florida and someone like Alex Gonzalez still remains a, I believe an ambassador of the team and continues to do work in the community on behalf of the team as well. So I don't think that counts for the purposes of this exercise of what he's doing now in his, it's probably right around 50 years old. That, that doesn't necessarily move the needle for how this team would perform on the field, but yeah, he doesn't need a, a whole lot of qualifiers in here. He was just a really good player at a position that is hard to find. So really thrilled to have CJ as my catcher in the ninth round. Awesome. Yeah. That was my other guy. When I, when I picked real mutual, I was like, okay, it's going to be one of these two guys. Uh, CJ was awesome and still is around the organization a lot. You see him at fan fest. He's on your podcast. As you said, uh, great dude. Um, love CJ staple. Absolutely. Yeah. Good one there. Uh, all right. We're into round 10 of 12 and I can tell you what you still need Francisco. Uh, you need your wild card, your right fielder and your second baseman. So who are you going with here? Oh, we can choose a wild card beforehand. Okay. Yeah. Anytime. Uh, let's see. Anytime, huh? Huh. All right. That changes things. <laughs> All right. So, um, well, I'm just going to go with my second baseman and just finish off that infield. And, and he's the only one I can really think that's left is D Gordon. Um, obviously speed had a, a great season. Um, uh, which season was that where he hit, uh, Gosh, was his, when he got that chain from Loria. <laughs> Forgot which I think one it was. 2015. 2015, yeah, something like that. Sure. Every time Loria gives somebody a chain, things go horribly wrong after that. So, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, because then, well, then like the next year he got caught with the, the PED stuff. So, yep. and then Hanley, of course, his head blew up completely and he just became a different player with the ego. So, uh, yeah, D Gordon. The only one I can really think of at second base that was of any significance aside from Luis Castillo, who uh, has his number should be retired in, in Florida, but you know, we'll see what happens, but yeah. Yeah. D Gordon. That's my second baseman. Good one. I mean, who could forget his, his home run uh, after uh, the day. I was at um, that game too. Gosh. Me too. I was there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who can forget that um, batting title winner. Um, you know, did it in down years for the Marlins, but, um, some moments that you just won't forget. Uh, and I think those are two of them. Um, so yeah, a good one, uh, for sure. Uh, so yeah, uh, at a thin position, that's definitely a good pick. I guess I'm up, um, and I can 
go in many different directions here. I can tell you, I still need closer, left-handed pitcher, and wild card. Ah, going down the list, looking at closers with Nen already gone. I guess the next direction I'll go is, man, it's hard. Ah, uh, I mean, I'll go, I'll go El Pulpo. I'll go Antonio Alfonseca. Uh, next to Rob Nen, he is the next guy in line in terms of saves. Uh, you know, obviously a champion and just a memorable guy. He was a huge personality uh, at the back end of the bullpen. You know, he had the, the whole thing to him with El Pupo with the extra finger. So, uh, you know, me and my dad have pictures with him. So he sticks in my mind as a guy that was just a, a big personality, a big dude, and uh, a guy that, that, did, that did a lot for the Marlins in the back end of games in those high leverage situations. So I'll go Antonio Alfonseca, closer here. And that's my round 10. I think he had... He had the most saves, I think, when the 2000 season, something like that. He, he had the most saves for the National League, at least. And yeah. if, uh, was on the 97 team as well. So, yeah, yeah, he's a good one. And he's what? He's the head coach of Florida Memorial down here, right? In South Florida? Yeah, he's still around. Yeah. He's yeah. still doing work. I mean, yeah. 45 mm-hmm. saves, like you said, in, in 2000, followed up with 28 and in 2001. Um, unfortunately, was with the Cubs and not the Marlins in 2003, or else he would be um, a two-time champion, but – that didn't happen. Uh, so yeah, anyways, uh, I like El Pupo. Uh, like I said, just a good personality, good dude and great in those, in those high leverage situations and a champion. So yeah, that's, that's my closer. Alfonseca after Rob Nen. Um, Eli, where are you going here? Go ahead. I am using my wild card pick to take who I think is pretty clearly the best player available. That'd be Cliff Floyd. If I was to draft, you know, by position, he's, he's really just a left fielder when he was with the Marlins, and I have that build with Conine. Yeah, you could argue that he was a better player with the Marlins uh, on a like a per-game basis, per-season basis, than even Conine was. Cliff Floyd was great. Uh, I guess the, the peak of his career would be a 2001 season when he even got some down-ballot MVP votes, and he was an all-star that year. Just a really awesome awesome hitter there's a you don't really need to like sugarcoat it any more than that same era as like preston wilson on those same teams in the late 90s and early 2000s and uh, I, I enjoy him very much as a personality as well uh, for whatever that is worth when was it it was let me just look closely the 2001 season it's like a six war player six and a half war uh, that's something that we haven't seen from anybody in the marlins during the Jeter era, the last four years, like don't take it for granted that he was just a, a really amazing all-around outfielder in his peak. And I would say probably to the broader audience, he's known a little bit better for his Mets days. Um, that's fine by them, but Marlins have a lot of fond memories of what he did. He was arguably the best player on some of those teams that he was on at the turn of the century. And to have that bat on my team where uh, I mean, frankly, I, I just love my team. I don't think uh, I need uh, any uh, any handouts or any like great value picks, but this is a great value pick in the 10th round to get somebody like Cliff Lloyd and how great he was in the middle of his career. Yeah, definitely. Great one. I mean, great pick as a wild, as a wild card. How can you argue against that? That's, that's a really good pick. All right. So we're back to you, Francisco. It's our last two rounds. You need uh wild card in right field. So where are you going here? Wild card in right field. Man, Gary Sheffield's gone already. And gosh, I mean, that's and, and Giancarlo's gone too. 
Man, who am I? Wow, right field is, gets pretty paltry after that. Because, I mean, Gary Shiva just took over 90s. And then, um, and you, well, you chose Mark Kotze as a first baseman, though, right? I and did, he, yes. Primarily played right field with the Marlins. So I don't know if I can. we can clone him and make him my right fielder. <laughs> <laughs> you know kind of like uh just uh gosh i mean the only other significant right fielder i mean aside because i haven't really chosen anybody from the current era um because after john carlo i mean we had the whole thing with i mean garrett cooper's a right fielder technically <laughs> you know i'd prefer not to see him in right field <laughs> exactly that's that's the thing i don't want him in right field i mean he's serviceable there but you know, oh gosh, I mean, uh, and then the other one I can think of is Juan Encarnacion is the only actual pure right fielder that the Marlins have had. He was with the team in 02, 03. He left, he was with the Dodgers in 04 and they got traded back to the team and came back and was with them in 05, I think. So, and he won a second ring with the Cardinals too. So I think he's a serviceable right fielder. I'm just going to go with Juan Encarnacion and uh, got a big hit uh, for the team in uh, he drove in the second run in game six against the Yankees. So yeah. Yeah. Juan Encarnacion. Yeah. I mean, your, your options were kind of limited <laughs> after, after, uh, after Giancarlo and, and everybody else that you said, like Conte that I took at first base. You know, Eli got got Gary, so kind of limited. Uh, Eric Garcia's a, a good pick, though. I, I definitely can see it. Uh, obviously, a champion. Um, and when he was at his peak, he was really good. So yeah, uh, that's a good one uh, for a deeper down guy for you. All right, so um, I need left-handed pitcher and wild card. This is really hard to go lefty. Like I'm a lefty, I gravitate towards lefties. I really wanted to get outlier because I was at the no hitter game. I was actually there for the first no hitter. I still have the ticket stub from it and everything like that was going to be my guy, but Francisco gets him. I'm kind of between two guys here, but I'm going to go, I'm going to go current player again. Um, And this is a guy that I've seen grow up and be so, so good in such a short amount of time. And a guy that I think is going to stick with the Marlins and be very, very good on top of what he's already done as a top end rotational talent. And I'm going to say Trevor Rogers, Um, Trevor Rogers, lefty, like, just what he did with his changeup in such a short amount of time where he didn't have the pitch prior to 2021, really. I mean, cause 2020 was so limited in 2019. I was talking to him about his changeup. He was like, yeah, I got to do a lot of work with it and look what it is today. So a guy that's just come so far so fast and grown into this amazing pitcher, uh, super nice dude. And a guy that I think uses his size. Well, Velo is very good. Um, and just has that great pitch mix from a, the left-hand side that is very hard to find. So Trevor Rogers for me, for everything that he's done and everything that he will do is going to be my all-time Marlins lefty here uh, in what is this round 11. So yeah, Trevor Rogers, left-handed pitcher. Eli, you're up. Go ahead. Yeah, he, he's awesome. This, the stats look really good from this past year, but you need to remember like what he would, the trajectory that he was on before, uh, before real life kind of got in the way for him um that he was he he's just going to continue to get better he is special and in a way that uh we didn't necessarily see coming just a couple years ago 
credit to him for becoming the kind of guy that he is. So sure as he heck, is. I haven't seen it from a lefty with this. Exactly. Team. Exactly. Uh, so uh, coming down to the end for me, I just need a third baseman and a closer. I'm intentionally putting closer at the ends because that just kind of reflects my, my belief that relief pitchers don't matter very much, especially in the history of this Marlins organization where there's really just has not been any of those one guys that you really want to bend over backwards to like rally around for third base. I will go with someone very short Marlins tenure, but pretty good. Bobby Bonilla from the 97 team and the, beginning of the 98 team uh, he was he was just a really productive hitter in the middle of that lineup in 97 in in game seven he, he had a pretty critical home run to start bringing them back into that game as well so really swinging that pivotal game um even though it's not the one moment that people immortalize from that game understandably he was an above average player at that stage of his career yeah he, he um he could hurt you a little bit in the field what he did defensively but in terms of the bat there's not much to argue with he was a really productive hitter and he is not an active player anymore but he is still getting paid for the foreseeable future for another decade and a half from the Mets for the Marlins it was, it was a pretty good investment they got their money's worth um, while he was on the team definitely made the team better and yeah to be honest I really wanted Brian Anderson I thought BA might fall all the way down here and I, I gambled a little there waiting a little bit longer but i think this is a nice consolation this deep to fill out my position player group with bobby bonilla yeah good pick and a guy that is uh, still getting paid to this day so um i'm sure he appreciates <laughs> that from the new york Mets. um <laughs> yeah um a good pick uh you know he was he was here for a little while and while he was here he was very very good um definitely a lot of power in that bat I like watching Bobby play back in the day. Um, Francisco, this is your last pick, round 12, wild card. Who you got? You can pick anybody you like throughout the rest of the organization that we haven't named already. So my wild card is basically if someone I think my dad would pick and because he really respects this player, I think everybody respects this player, uh, probably one of the most respected players of all time, Ichiro Suzuki. Mm. So I'm going with Ichiro. I was going to basic like when he was getting like close to 3000 he was within like three hits of it i was going basically to every home game i could just to see if i could witness him then of course they went on the road and did in in, in colorado but uh, you know I, I think i saw like 20 uh 29 98 or something like that i think i saw one of those at least so uh but ichiro suzuki uh, one of the most well-respected players in major league history, one of the best baseball players of all time, having him basically my wildcard player, my bench player. I he wasn't in his prime with the Marlins, but uh, you know, you still have to be careful around him. And of course I think uh, he, he got play time due to injuries, which allowed him to get to 3000, which was great. And uh, I, I, I don't think, uh, you could ask for anything more from someone on the bench than to have a hall of famer there. And one of the greatest players of all time. So Ichiro Suzuki is my, my wild card. Yep. Good one. Love, love Ichiro. I uh, love that he got his uh, 3000th hit with the Marlins, which was totally awesome to see legend and still pitching against high schoolers to this day, I believe. 
kind of cool to see. Yeah, I saw, uh, I saw a, a girls' high school team in Japan. Yeah, yeah really. Cool. I mean, hey, you get hit by a pitch by Ichiro, you're going to tell that story for the rest of your life, right? <laughs> like any baseball player, especially in Japan. So that, that's really cool. Um, and yeah, I loved Ichiro's tenure. Every every pregame was always um, very interesting with with Ichiro, especially in spring training with, you know, all the Japanese media around him and, and trying to cover the end of his career. It, it, it was, it was super cool to see him here in, in a Marlins uniform for sure. So yeah, Ichiro is a good one. Um, somebody my dad appreciates as well. So that's a good one. Um, I got wild card left as well. Uh, I had kind of, I was kind of back and forth here between two guys, but I'm gonna go Edgar Renteria. If I didn't pick this guy, Daniel DeVivo would kill me because he lives in the town that he's yep. from in Barranquilla. So I got to go with Edgar um, game winning hit world series winning hit, um, was only here for a short time, but was here as a very young kid. And the numbers were, were very, very good. 288, 342, 357, 89 stolen bases. As I said, that, that world series winning hit, which none of us will ever forget where he throws his helmet off. Like, uh, I got to go with Edgar, uh, just for the memories and, and for the stats as well. Uh, great player here. And, uh, I can definitely see him slotting in on my bench here for this team and coming in in any situation at multiple positions. So Edgar, for me, that rounds up my team, the team Alex in round 12. Eli, you're last up. Go ahead. Uh, I don't think there's a Mr. Irrelevant, but if you want to name it Mr. Irrelevant, go ahead. It's your pick. You're up last. Final pick of the draft. I think it's fitting to end with an inaugural Marlin from the 1993 team. I need my closer. And this guy authored, I think, arguably the best individual season by any Marlins reliever. It's Brian Harvey. That, that team in 93, it was not supposed to be even mildly competitive, and yet pretty deep into the year, they were hanging around 500, and Brian Harvey was right in the middle of that because of how lights out he was in safe situations. Like, he swung a lot of those really close games. He made that team seem a lot more like, competitive than they had any right to be during that most of that 1993 season and he was with the Marlins in 94 and 95 but it went downhill pretty quickly after that but during 93 man he was awesome let me see 40 45 saves that year a very nice 69 innings that he put together <laughs> only allowed four home runs he was just dominant he really was a dominant relief pitcher that year and one of the better players on the team that year so for me somebody that said i'm pretty disrespectful towards uh, relievers and trying to and putting too much focus on individual guys and putting too much trust in individual guys brian harvey is just the perfect example of somebody who early in his career is awesome with the marlins he was awesome in 93 and then almost everything around that is very very up and down very inconsistent at his best he was awesome at his best he is exactly what you hope for any time for any team at the closer position. I think it's very fitting that he closes out this draft, which uh, I, and I just love my team. I absolutely love the way that this all came together, even from uh, the final order in the draft order. Yeah, definitely. The stash, right? Everybody knows Brian Harvey from the stash. First closure <laughs> uh, and the last, and the last pick. So I guess that closes it out perfectly here. Um yeah, Brian. Brian was cool to watch, man. Uh, I watched him in those early years, and, and he was good. Uh, and def- definitely um, a good pick uh, as your last pick to fill out your team. So I like all these teams, man. Um, we're just going to run through them to recap it. Uh, we got Team Francisco. He has Carlos Delgado, first base. Right-handed pitcher Kevin Brown. Third baseman Mike Lowell. Closer Rob Nen. 
Catcher, Yvonne Rodriguez. Left fielder, Moises Alou. Left-handed pitcher, Outlighter. Center fielder, Juan Pierre. Shortstop, Alex Gonzalez. Second baseman, D. Gordon. Right fielder, Juan Encarnacion. 3-2-1. And wild card, Ichiro Suzuki. I have second baseman, Luis Castillo. Left fielder, Miguel Cabrera. Right fielder, Giancarlo Stanton. Shortstop, Hanley Ramirez. Center fielder, Christian Yelich. Right-handed pitcher, Josh Johnson. Catcher, J.C. Real Muto. Third baseman, Brian Anderson. First baseman, Mark Kotze. Closer, Antonio Alfonseca. Left-handed pitcher, Trevor Rogers. And wild card, Edgar Interbria. And team Eli is right-handed pitcher, Jose Fernandez. Left-handed pitcher, Dontrell Willis. Right fielder, Gary Sheffield. First baseman, Derek Lee. Left fielder, my guy, Jeff Conine. Second baseman, Dan Ugla. Center fielder, Swiss Army Knife, Preston Wilson. Uh, shortstop, El Capitan, Miguel Rojas. Uh, CJ, a catcher, Charles Johnson. Cliff Floyd, wild card, Bobby Bonilla, third base. And closer, Brian Harvey. So, that's our teams. I was very pleased with how this turned out. This is kind of a different uh, avenue than our usual programming, but man, this is what I grew up with. And this is what Francisco grew up with. And I'm sure Eli as well grew up with a lot of these guys, just something fun to break the stream a little bit, do something different. And we want your input as well. Uh, what do you guys think? There's going to be some polls out on who you guys think won this particular draft, which team you like the most and who's your team. We want to know who you guys uh, think are the best Marlins of all time. That'll be coming on um, on social media, so stay tuned for that. But I want to thank our guests today. Francisco, man, um, everything you do with Marlins history is incredible, and you juggle your full-time day job as well, as you said. Uh, so the fact that you bring us back, man, and I, I literally, I lived through my childhood through your account, you know, all the pictures you post, all the, uh, the old promotions that you post, it's, it's super cool. I really enjoy your project. I definitely appreciate your time today. Uh, anything else you want to say here uh, before we go? Uh, yeah, I guess I, I think everybody has, uh, at least a lot of people have their own little podcast. I have my own that I do with my, my buddies from law school. It's called sports goofs where we have, we, we are not experts in the least. Of course, I, my only thing is my, my hockey background. That's, that's it for me. Uh, and, but my, my, one of my buddies does, uh, cover college football for Reddit college football. And, uh, my other buddy, Charles is, he is the wrestling guru. Anything about wrestling, he knows it for sure. You could you could basically ask him, hey, I'm trying to remember a thing from like 2004 with like Triple H. And he'll be like, oh, yeah, it was this. He'll know, he'll name the match and when it was and where it was. He's just an expert with that. And we often go on tangents and talk about video games and tacos. So if you guys ever want to listen to that, we're on Twitter at sports underscore goofs. We're on pretty much everything. We actually do our show live without a safety net. And then we post it for all the billions of podcast apps that are out there. And aside from that, just follow me on Twitter. If you just want to, you know, check out my Marlin stuff, Marlin's history. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Awesome. Pleasure to have you. And then of course, Eli, uh, you know how much I appreciate you. I tell you all the time, pleasure to have you on. This was fun. Like I said, definitely different than what I usually do, but like I said, just something different. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, anything else from you before you go? I'm going to use my time to uh, hopefully encourage people to help you uh, as I believe uh, in the near future, people hopefully are aware of how we have transitioned our Fish Stripes live streams recently into Jeopardy shows, Marlon's Jeopardy trivia. Now five episodes into that, and I've been creating those quizzes myself and had a lot of fun doing it. But in the near future, I'm going to have one episode as a contestant. And I know Alex is already hard at work putting together some clever questions for that episode to get us through that show. 
And but uh, I'm sure he could use some audience submissions. And, and that's one thing that as, as we continue to tinker with the show to make it uh, something that you keep coming back to every single week, usually Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Uh, the one thing that we wanted to do is have questions submitted directly from the audience that we include in the show. So for people that are interested in doing that and submitting questions to be featured on those upcoming shows, it's right there on, on fishtripes.com. There's actually at the top of the site, there is this little icon that says Jeopardy. And if you click on Jeopardy, it'll bring you directly to that. Ooh. But it's also pinned to the top of the Fish Stripes accounts I, I'm gonna, as well. I'm going to submit some really obscure stuff and see if you guys know it. <laughs> we need we need impossible questions, <laughs> but we also need we also need very easy questions. That's the only thing that I'll emphasize. It, it, we want to cover the whole range of difficulty levels to make that show uh, as well-rounded as possible. But we thank everybody that's been supporting Fish Stripes and all its forms, even through the lockout, because we have reached a point in this offseason, man, where it is there's only so much material that you can pull from. We ran through a lot of it during COVID shutdowns. We ran through a lot of it earlier in this offseason. It's been tough, and we appreciate everybody that's been sticking with us and has been part of this community that uh, has kept us going uh, during this uncertain time. It's but we found a way, we found a way that we're still having fun on here. It's with the help from the audience. And of course it's with standout people like Francisco and like Alex who come up with their own original ideas to, to keep us going, including this particular draft. So I want to thank you, Alex, for thinking of me uh, and bring me onto this program because it was, yeah, unlike any other exercise that I have gone to before, I appreciate how you, uh, use kind of a shell of an idea that we've gone through on fish tribes and but made it apply perfectly to this concept as well so uh, i look forward to listening to other editions of the same type of draft in the future it's an awesome idea glad to be a part of it yeah well thank you so much again for coming on both you and francisco absolute studs follow these guys at fish tribes at real eli and then of course at marlin's history and francisco's podcast sports goofs that he mentioned as well so Great stuff. I had a great time doing this. Um, I, again, like I said, just something different, an idea I threw together based off of Eli's idea uh, that he does with his, with his guys. So we hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, there's going to be some engagement on this coming up on social media. So stay tuned for that. And then me and Danny DeVivo will be back next time on Swimming Upstream to cover the back end of our top 30 prospects with Ian Smith and Spencer Morris. So that's coming up soon uh, in the coming weeks. We hope you guys will tune in for that one. And uh, that's going to be it for this one. This was episode 36. So stay tuned for next time. And we appreciate you guys listening. So uh, we'll see you guys next time on Swimming Upstream.